Welcome to The Edge by MGR with your host, David Gill. Hey everybody, and welcome to the Tuesday episode of The Edge podcast by MGR. David Gill here, and just a reminder, I said Tuesday podcast because this is now a Tuesday and Thursday podcast for those of you who did not listen last week. Tuesday and Thursday, before it was just Tuesday, now expect episodes on Thursday. But anyways, today I wanted to talk about crypto and blockchain and some developments that I think are very important and have meaningful potential to provide value to millions of people or maybe even billions of people around the world. Uh, You know, a few months back I was making uh, episodes about cryptocurrencies and blockchain very frequently, like every single week, but I decided to take a step back because I didn't want this podcast to be solely about that and I felt like it was kind of becoming that and I was I mean I was riding the wave of crypto's popularity more than anything too I mean people were those podcasts were the ones that were getting the most listens and people were interacting and commenting and lots of stuff so obviously you know when I get feedback like that it makes me want to make more but I wanted this to be not just about crypto but that kind of I almost went almost the opposite way and I haven't done anything about blockchain or crypto for the last couple of months so I wanted to kind of get back to that because there's you know it's been a few months and there's things that I want to talk about again, and I think now's a good time because a lot of the hype surrounding this area has left a bit, which I think is a good thing. You know, I think we saw a classic case of the hype cycle where something becomes all the rage, and then a few months later, you know, the masses forget about it. I remember for weeks on TV and every magazine and every website I went to it was all cryptocurrency, blockchain, everything, blah, blah, blah. And now you don't see much, at least not nearly as much as you did just a few few months back. Um, But I want to talk about today the real implications of what are called security tokens and how they could very much change banking, finance, investing, and really how much of the monetary system in the world works or functions. Um, And if you don't know what security tokens are, don't worry, I'm going to talk about – give you – thorough uh, explanation in just a second. But anyways, before we get into that, I wanted to say be sure to visit our site, mgredge.com, where I was putting up new articles and content on there about, you know, get the edge in tech, business, and life. So check it out. Last week, I wrote an article about how, I also did a podcast but about how Amazon is in a position of massive leverage to take down CVS and Walgreens and other pharmacies. So give that a read if you want to, how they're going to use a decentralized network of, a decentralized logistics network to take them down. Fascinating stuff. So give it a read if you want. Uh, We also have a new podcast and article about water. Yes, water. Uh, Marissa went in depth on making sure you're drinking healthy water because apparently it's actually very easy not to drink drink healthy water. Uh, I actually learned a thing or two from it. It's pretty fascinating. So go listen or read that on the site if you want. Anyways, yeah, keep up with that. Keep up. Blah. Keep up with the site. We're always coming with new stuff. Let's get into today's show. You ain't got no money. I ain't got no time. All these faces looking funny when I'm driving by. All right, so let's talk about security tokens. What are they? Why do they matter? And why should you care? Well, a security token has nothing to do with security as in protection. It means security as in the finance term security. Uh, you know, a security is 
anything that's uh, backed by an asset and has expected profit in the future. So that applies to most companies or assets out there. Um, and a security token are tokens that are any uh, blockchain-based representation of a security that is also subject to regulation under security laws. That's kind of the key there. It's uh, subject to regulation. It's not just kind of free-for-all like we've seen a lot of uh, blockchain and crypto assets be over the last year. Um, and so those tokens will include representing traditional assets like equity in a company, so like share stocks, debt, um, or mortgages, things like that, derivatives or options, futures um, for trading, uh, real estate, etc. And that's kind of the key difference between a security token and a traditional like you know, cryptocurrency or utility token. Basically, they are based on securities, they can be regulated, and they're based on assets and things that we already deal with every day. Like I said, real estate, company stock, whatever. Um, and there's many advantageous reasons you would want a security based on the blockchain rather than just in the traditional way of having a paper or a deed or a database that holds those records. So let's talk about a few of those reasons and why you know, the title is basically that it could, you know, take over the finance world. So number one is just 24-7 markets. This is kind of not as big of a deal, but still it matters. 24-7 markets, unlike regular stock markets or many other trading markets, whether it be commodity markets, foreign exchange markets, whatever, uh, they are open for only a few hours a day. The blockchain is fully accessible 24-7-3-6-5. Now, another benefit is fractional ownership. This is a very big one. So right now, the average person has a very limited investment pool, you know, limited options when it comes to investing their money because they don't have enough capital necessary to make an invest in, an investment in many different markets. So the biggest example I can give is real estate. So to invest in real estate, right? I'm not talking about just buying a house for yourself to move into, but if you wanted to actually invest in real estate, which is something that a lot of people want to do, uh, you know, to do that, you're kind of gonna need, like at least in the US and probably Europe too, $100,000 in cash minimum to get started. I mean, uh, that might not even be enough, really. I mean, it depends on what market you're in, like where in the country and where you're buying. And maybe you could take that 100000 in cash and then go to a bank and leverage it and get an, get them to give you also another $100,000 loan on top of that. So then you have $200,000 to deploy. But either way, that's kind of the minimum. And, well, most people do not have that money. I mean, we're talking about a small percentage of the population that has the ability to go get a loan for $100,000 to invest in real estate or even have $100,000 to invest themselves. And that's like minimum. I mean, if you want to be a real real estate investor, you need hundreds or even hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars to really, really go all in. Um, and so the only way for someone to invest in real estate without having hundreds of thousand dollars right now is by investing in what's called REITs, real estate investment trusts. But those are typically giant pools of uh, properties. So like you'll buy a REIT and it's like a hundred houses or it's like 10 apartment buildings or it can be even thousands, right? But that's typically what a real estate investment trust is. It's a trust and you get a pool of, you know, a hundred thousand investors and they all put in their money but you know you don't get the choice in selection of any individual property right you're just investing in a pool of a hundred homes you're not actually like buying a house and flipping it or anything like that and 
the managers of those REITs, the funds managers, the fund managers, I should say, take fees just for allowing you to invest with them. And just because they have to do the work and the due diligence of getting all, you know, coordinating, buying a hundred properties and all that. I mean, obviously that takes a lot of work. And so they charge fees to you. So you're going to make less money than if you were able to do it on your own. But now with blockchain and with security tokens, if the, if the owner of the house wanted to, they could create what's called an STO, a security token offering. Um, and that basically could represent the deed to a house and they could sell the tokens that represented fractional ownership of the house. So for example, they could basically create an offering of 100 tokens and each token represents 1% ownership of the house and then sell them off to investors, which would allow people who didn't have large amounts of money to invest. So if you wanted to buy a $250,000 house or $300,000 house, you could buy one token for $3,000 and now you own 1% of that house. So when they sell the house, say you you invest in at 300,000 and then you know you pool with a, a bunch of other people with 100 other people and then you guys are able to sell the house for 400,000, well then you just made $1,000 profit, but you didn't have to have, you know, the $300,000 to begin with yourself. You only needed 1,000. Hopefully that makes sense. Or you only needed 3,000, sorry. And this goes for really any type of investment that requires lots of capital, whether it be like art, not that I have the faintest clue as to how one evaluates the worth of a painting or a sculpture or anything, good luck with that. Um, or it also applies to like startup investing or lending, right? If you want to give peer-to-peer -peer lending has popped up, but still it's kind of only available to people with more money because uh, most of these lending platforms, you need at least say $10,000, $20,000, something like that, which, you know, most people don't necessarily have 20,000 to kind of put in a riskier peer to peer loan like that. Normally, you would want to have a few hundred grand if you're going to be putting 20 grand into a peer to peer loan that could become somewhat risky, right? So there's countless of investment opportunities that are cut off from basically 99% of the population that are only available to the 1%. And I'm not someone who's like, oh, anti 1% or anything like that. But it's just the democratization of investing. That's really what it allows for. It's just allowing people who don't necessarily have millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars at their disposal, but still want to have access to these investment opportunities. It's, it's like I said, just the democratization of investment. And that would be possible if security tokens were to begin being used. So that's one benefit. Now, another huge benefit, and this is probably one of the biggest, reduction in fees and middlemen across the board in the finance industry. So this is another big reason why security tokens bring massive value to the market. Banks, investment banks, and most finance companies make huge amounts of money for charging for mediation fees. You know, money transfers, currency exchanges, even purchases, all manner of things that people need to do on a daily basis, weekly basis, monthly basis uh, that have to do with money have middlemen built into the system who charge, a, who make a profit from charging fees because they provide basically either trust, right? You use a credit card and they charge you a 3% fee. And a part of that is because 1% of all transactions are fraudulent. And so they basically are charging you 1% for that. And then 2% for the convenience of using a credit card and you trust Visa or whoever you're using, right? There's lots of reasons that you have these middlemen. And a lot of times it's just because 
there's lots of things that need to be done in the background of transactions that are complicated and cumbersome and these companies make money just from doing that but many of these fees will decrease to near zero or even be actually zero and like i said this goes from the consumer level of being charged a three percent fee every time you use a credit card uh to the multi-billion dollar corporation level where they pay investment banks like goldman sachs and morgan stanley and the like millions upon millions hundreds of millions sometimes even billions of dollars to act as middlemen in like acquisitions and transactions and shareholder distributions things that are kind of complicated and cumbersome and take lots of paperwork and have to deal with regulation all these things and they charge tons of money to take care of that for fortune 500 companies i mean we are talking hundreds of billions of dollars in finance related fees globally between like i said between processing transaction fees and middlemen fees that could drop by over 90 percent i mean that is massive and freeing to the monetary system it lifts a major burden off of the system and this leads to another benefit which is rapid settlement of transactions which kind of ties back into the middleman right now for example when you buy a stock right so if you go to your broker whether it be uh you know these days it's popular to be on robin hood but you know uh, scott trade or td ameritrade whatever um it typically takes two or three days for that transaction to settle not to go through so you might it'll show in your uh like console or platform whatever that you own the stock but it actually takes what's called t plus two which basically means at least two business days sometimes three business days for that transaction to settle because it has to go through layers of middlemen from your broker to a clearinghouse to the stock exchange you bought from to uh, what's called financial custodians and then obviously to, has to go through the person that you're buying the share from the person that's selling it and all of these companies or people in the middle take time to process and they take fees on the blockchain your share purchase in a company when you buy a stock can be completed simply between you and the buyer and settled within minutes not days you don't need all those people in the middle because it's a distributed public ledger so you don't need all of these middlemen and third parties to verify and do all these things that they do and charge money for no it's they're just taken out of the equation entirely. And like I said, settle within minutes, not days. I mean, that's insane. And this leads me into another huge advantage, and that's increased liquidity for everyone. So I'm going to kind of, this goes back to the middlemen and things being faster. And also I'm going to kind of tie it back to the real estate example. So if you want to sell a home, right, I'm sure many people have that are listening to us have either gone through the home buying process or home selling process at some point. And you know that it takes months often to sell a house because you need to find a buyer. You need to find someone that's willing to pay, say, $400 hundred thousand dollars for your home and yes there's a lot of people buying homes but still that pool is very limited i mean there's only so many people out there who have four hundred thousand dollars at their disposal whether it be in the form of a mortgage from a bank or actual cash whatever uh to give to you and so it often takes months sometimes years to sell a property depending on the demand of the market uh but if you were to say split your home into a hundred or a thousand tokens you could sell pieces of your home very quickly to investors because it would only cost a few thousand dollars and the 
pool of people who have $3,000 at their disposal is much larger than the pool of people who have $400,000 at your disposal. So this really allows for increased liquidity in the real estate market and also the private equity market. So right now, if you wanted to invest in a private startup or company, first of all, it's very difficult for the average person to do this. Um, but also, even if you were able to and you wanted to, say, sell your shares, normally you're locked in for years. I mean, minimum probably five years if it's like a startup and if it's a private company, at least two or three years uh, if it's like a private equity deal. And that's because buyers don't come around often because normally the company and the board have to decide that, A, they're going to raise money so they want to basically sell shares and that would give you the option to exit if you wanted to or they're just selling the company, period. Uh, that doesn't happen very often. That's a once every few years event. So your money is locked in. If you have an investment there, it's not like the public stock market where you can just sell your shares tomorrow if you wanted to. No, your money's locked in there for years until the board or whoever's running the company decides that they want, that they're going to allow you to sell your shares. In a tokenized system, the investor can sell their shares without affecting the rest of the company or the shareholders or having to go through the board. And it brings private markets closer to public companies in that advantage. That's one of the reasons why it's one of the advantages of going public is the access to liquidity, which you don't have in the private market. So that means that you could see much more private market investment, which means much more investment into small business, which tends to drive economies. And then the main advantage, the thing that I think is understated the most about security tokens and blockchain in general is what's called automated compliance or ease of compliance with regulators. This sounds a little counterintuitive at first because you would think that, wait, isn't this space like totally unregulated and uh, wild west? Right now, yes, but what the technology allows for is almost frictionless regulatory compliance. And it could become so frictionless, actually, that there's many people who believe that regulators like the SEC, for example, will the Securities and Exchange Commission, for those who don't know, um, will begin requiring companies to tokenize their securities. And now that's obviously a guess. It's not something that's anywhere near happening. But this is because the tracking and reporting of financial statements and shareholder uh, equity becomes much easier when it's on a public ledger, meaning the regulators like the SEC can check in at any time with ease instead of having to go through the books manually and requesting and auditing and doing all those things. Now, this might sound far-fetched that it be required, but for those <laughs> kind of a little history background here, back in 1996, yes, over 20 years ago now, when the internet was still in its very early days, um, I mean, we're talking Amazon was still only selling books at this point, uh, the SEC made electronic filing required back in 1996. I mean, that's pretty early for a government agency to require the use of the internet for every public company uh, in the U.S., 22 years ago is pretty impressive. So the SEC is normally pretty diligent about these things. Now, again, I wouldn't expect this to happen anytime soon, but it's certainly a possibility. And like I said, the internet was still in its infancy when the SEC decided to do this. And so even if the blockchain still is kind of in its infancy right now, 
it could be something that they consider or at least very strongly encourage companies to do to use security tokens rather than traditional shares because when securities are tokenized compliance with regulators can be automated so it's it's just you know you don't have all of these restrictions security tokens will be able to trade anywhere including on decentralized exchanges which is a whole nother thing that i don't have time to talk about right now but uh research that on your on your own if you want to and you're essentially integrating compliance into the tokens and it just makes lots of the complicated things like selling shares internationally or even just filing for an ipo much much simpler than they are right now and there's even more benefits, but let me kind of step back and talk about real world examples and what we can kind of expect to possibly happen. Again, none of this is guaranteed, but these are all real problems that can be solved with security tokens. And that's why I'm kind of giving you this long list, but let's kind of go into real examples. So STO, security token offerings, I really think could take over the small cap markets soon uh, small cap is basically companies that are like 500 million dollars or less you know for companies that are uh, worth more than 500 million dollars an ipo is not a massive burden it's still a kind of a pain in the ass but it's not as big of a deal because obviously they have the resources at their hands but for companies that are smaller than that it's very expensive and resource intensive to file for an ipo and go public but by filing for an sto instead they could gain access to public market investors and liquidity without having to go through the same burdensome and costly process that filing for an ipo is so I think it's reasonable to expect many companies in, say, the 50 to 300 million, 400 million range opt for STOs instead of going straight for a full IPO, which I think could cause a major boon in the STO world. In fact, Australia's version of the NYSE, the ASX, the Australian Stock Exchange, is creating a new decentralized exchange, and they're very much interested in the opportunity that STOs bring and the ASX, by the way, is a $2 trillion market cap exchange. This is not small potatoes here. This is a $2 trillion exchange that is openly developing a new exchange that they plan on implementing for smaller cap companies and possibly even large cap companies in the future too. Even NASDAQ in the US has discussed the possibility of creating a NASDAQ STO exchange for many of the tech companies that in the US that are worth hundreds of millions or billions of dollars but have chosen to remain private because of the IPO burden. It's such a burdensome process to file for an IPO. It takes three to six months normally. If that were to happen, if, if NASDAQ were to open an STO exchange, you could see billions of dollars from institutional investors flooding into these STOs. I mean, remember, companies like Uber and Airbnb and lots of startups are still private just because they don't want to go through that burdensome uh, regulatory process. But if they could sidestep that and still gain access to the billions of dollars from institutional investors that's available, then they would do it, basically. And I think that's the real key here. STOs allow for large mutual funds and pension funds and sovereign wealth funds and other groups that have trillions of dollars at their disposal to obviously not individually, well, some sovereign wealth funds, yes, but as a total, I mean, that market of huge funds like that have trillions of dollars in assets. 
and it would allow them to invest in crypto and blockchain based tokens. Now, I'm not a huge advocate for regulation. I think overregulation certainly hurts businesses, but this is the real path to seeing wide adoption of blockchain technology by companies offering themselves up to regulation via STOs in exchange for getting access to the massive pool of capital that's in these large institutions, right? These large institutions, these mutual funds, these fidelities, the this the pension funds, they're not going to go put billions of dollars into something that's unregulated. That is just never ever ever going to happen. So regulation is has to be there. And listen, I agree. I'm I you know, the nice thing about investing in public companies versus private companies and the reason that the whole IPO process exists is because there's a certain sense of uh, security in investing in a public company that their numbers that they report and everything that they say is true. Now, obviously, you still have the Enron type scandals every now and then, but those are the outliers. Those are the edge cases. Those are not the commonality. Most of the time, when you look up the books of Disney or Apple and you look at their numbers, those are the real numbers, right? It's it's rare that you have a, you know a bad egg. It's going to happen. But basically, you're not going to get institutional investors these huge funds to invest if there is not that regulation, that security in place. So in summary, to kind of wrap this all up, because I've kind of gone in a lot of directions here, what you need to know about security tokens and why they matter is this. They simplify financial systems, removing they, they remove the need for a central coordinator or central coordinators and middlemen without sacrificing the trust and regulatory compliance. And in fact, they actually increase the trust by enabling easier regulation. It's easier for the SEC to keep tabs on companies and make sure that things are not fraudulent and they are able to more easily remove potential bad actors from the system. And by removing middlemen and all of the mediation that goes into the finance world right now, costs are reduced greatly for everyday financial services, like I said, from the consumer level of just daily daily banking or daily transactions, all the way to the $100 billion company level. And it also speed th speeds things up as well, because things that could take days or even months, depending on what you're trying to do, could be done in minutes. That's the real power there. All of this is to say that there's tremendous value in this technology existing and being adopted and becoming the new status quo. The question is really how long will it take and which platforms are going to be the ones that enable this. Now this is getting into prediction territory and nothing is that I'm about to say is any form of investment advice. Please do your own research. But I think most people would generally agree the most likely outcome would be that Ethereum be the platform on on which a, a lot of this takes place. Um, I mean, the reason I say that is just because it's the largest and most widely adoptive platform in the world that has the ability to do this, blockchain platform, I should say. And now that's not a guarantee or recommendation. There's certainly a lot of competitors, but I think Ethereum will be one of the major players due to its ubiquity and you know it's already proven its ability to have companies and platforms be built on top of the ethereum protocol already so i think ethereum will be a major player um, but i think we will see others as well now how long i would expect by the end of next year 2019 that kind of gives us like 18 months from the time of recording this podcast 
that we'll see STOs taking shape. Um, and by that, I mean, I think we will see some companies and possibly exchanges begin to, like the Australian Stock Exchange, take advantage of STOs. Now, in the U.S., it's a little more uncertain. The SEC has already been reviewing and debating for months now how to properly regulate all of these things. And I would expect that by then, within 18 months, we will see at least some type of framework, you could say, for how the SEC plans to handle uh, the regulation of security tokens and other crypto assets. Um, now, I would say for real adoption, though, it's probably going to take longer, probably double that, maybe two, three years before this kind of could become mainstream. But again, that's really just my best guess. But yeah, I think there's definitely hope and a chance that this really happens. I mean, I think it's definitely a better solution to what's out there. It's more of a question of can this become adopted and can uh, people can people in this space work with regulators to make this happen? And I think they will because the incentive is there. The incentive is the billions of dollars of liquidity that is available from massive investors. And trust me, these companies want access to that. So I think it will happen. But again, my best guess, I just think it's very fascinating, something to keep an eye on and something, you know, it's always fun to learn about new technologies. Anyways, that's it for security tokens. Let's get into the news. It's time for the news. All right. So actually, I made a pod, an entire podcast on where I thought Apple was heading a few weeks ago. And today in the news... Uh, Apple kind of gave us a little hint and my in my podcast I basically said Apple is going to focus on two major things going into the future AR augmented reality and seamless AI artificial intelligence integration across all of their products and today I was kind of proven to be right especially on the AI front uh, Apple has brought on Google's former head of search and AI to take over Siri and its core machine learning teams. They're combining the two teams with the goal of making Apple devices the most advanced when it comes to consumer AI in daily life. And I very much agree with this strategy. And I've thought that they've been falling behind on the AI front for years now. But now it's clear that this will be a primary focus of them going forward. And all I can say is expect Siri and your iPhone to get a whole lot smarter. Now, for some other AR news, augmented reality, uh, also Facebook, those who uh, listen to this podcast frequently know that I'm a strong believer in augmented reality, and I think that we will see in a few years AR be kind of mass, maybe not mass adoption, but begin to start getting real adoption. Um, and now Facebook announced that they are going to be testing out augmented reality ads in their app. So instead of seeing an image or a video ad like normal, you might see a pair of shoes sitting virtually in front of you, seen through your camera, right? I'm sure many of you have used or seen AR before, but basically like it could have shoes in front of you. Or as Facebook showed in their demo, um, the kind of example they give was an ad that placed a pair of Michael Kors glasses on, sunglasses on your face as you're scrolling through. And, you know, it's it's interesting. I don't know how well it will work, but, you know, as someone who's intimately involved in, you know, e-com marketing, obviously that's what MGR does or one of the things that MGR does. 
reducing customer friction is a huge thing that we focus on. And if you can literally have a full physical product demo right on someone's Facebook timeline, that's about as frictionless as it gets. Now, this is still very limited in testing and Facebook said it likely won't roll out to the actual ad platform for another year or so, which I understand. I'm sure that there's a lot that goes on in the background. I'm not sure how the the system will be of how you design it and how you create the AR. Uh, like if I wanted to create an AR ad myself, how would that all work? So I'm sure there's a lot that they're going to be testing and that's why they said it's going to take a year. But if you're someone who advertises on Facebook, I would keep an eye on it. I know I certainly will be. All right, and my last story for the day, the Taiwan Semiconductor Company, a company that not many people, especially in the U.S., have ever heard of, uh, announced that they are investing $25 billion into developing a new 5-nanometer uh, semiconductor chip. For those of you who do not follow the semiconductor space, I would not expect you to, by the way, uh, TSMC, or Taiwan Semiconductor Company, is a $200 billion chip manufacturer. Uh, they just don't sell their chips with their own brand name like Intel does, for example. Um, they don't really design the chips. They just manufacture them for other companies. And I actually think that TSMC is one of the smartest and best positioned company in the semiconductor space. And I think they're way ahead of Intel and AMD in the US. They supply all of the chips for Apple's iPhones. They have a huge partnership with NVIDIA to produce millions of chips for them in the next coming years as well. And right now, they're the only company that can produce seven nanometer chips. Basically, the smaller, the better in the chip world. Intel, to give you a comparison, can only make 20 nanometer and 14 nanometer chips twice or triple the size of their chips and this these sizes matter a lot and they're far away from being able they're starting to develop on their 7 nanometer chips which TSMC already has meanwhile TSMC is planning on having a 5 nanometer chip by 2020 that's why they're investing 25 billion dollars i mean they are so far ahead of intel and it's not even close and with intel's ceo recently being fired through scandal on top of their struggles to stay relevant in the smartphone market and then Apple also dropping them as their chip maker for all future Macs. I would be a little worried if I were an Intel investor. Again, not investing advice, but I would be a little cautious. But anyways, TSMC, they keep rocking and this is a company that I really admire because they don't go after the sexy part of being this like advanced chip maker, whatever. Nope. They just make the best chips in the world for companies. And you don't even care about necessarily putting their own brand name on the chip. So you wouldn't know that you have a TSMC chip in your phone or in your computer. And well, $200 billion later, it looks like they had the right idea. So keep rocking on TSMC. Anyways, that's it for the news today, guys. This was a longer episode than usual, but thank you so much if you got all the way through it. I really appreciate it. If you did enjoy, I ask that you share this episode with just one person that you think would also enjoy it. Be sure to check out mgredge.com for all of our content and stay up to date on everything. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye.